I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya, that's Creole for something extra. Is it acidic or and astringent or bright and brilliant? For many Americans, the world of fine wine and the words of fine wine can feel exclusionary because of the way we talk about wine. Meanwhile, no need to chill the bottles of English sparkling wine aged on the seabed of the Arctic Ocean. Sparkling wine is a great sip to go with the global regional cuisine, which has found a place in greater Boston. Plus, old-fashioned cottage cheese is making a comeback. Our food and wine contributors are sipping and savoring those stories and more. Joining me in the studio, Jonathan Alsop, founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and author of The Wine Lover's Devotional. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Kelly. And also with me, Amy Traverso, senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of the PBS series Weekends with Yankee, and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. Hello, Amy. Hey, Callie. I'm glad to have both of you. We're looking at the summer. Um, What's your favorite summer foods, Amy? So, well, you know, I'm really into grilling in the summer, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you about a few recipes. They're all on NewEngland.com, which is Yankee's website. And they're all ones that I developed. Okay, how about little kind of clam bake packs that you cook in foil, lined with parchment if you want. And they have shrimp and Mm. potato and garlic garlic butter and chopped up corn on the cob. And if you want, you could add smoked mussels. They're so delicious. They cook really fast on your grill. And it's like having a little tiny clam bake, you know, on the grill. It's fun. You can add clams if you want and have them open up in there. Um, How about uh, desserts you can make on the grill, like a blueberry ginger snap crisp, which you can cook on the grill with the lid down, or um, s'mores dip, which is so crazy simple. It's hardly a recipe, but it's like a layer of of uh, chocolate and cream, like a ganache. You melt that. You put uh, marshmallows over the top. You can broil it a little bit if you want to get it nice and brown on top. And then you can serve it with a uh, graham cracker. Oh, you know, and so you, you break dip. them up and you dip yeah. them in, and it's really, really fun in the summer. And then um, also a garlic bread pull apart roll that you can make in a skillet on your grill. Just really fun, like thinking beyond just a piece mm-hmm. of protein on the grill. That's what I'm excited about this Oh, summer. wow. It sounds delicious. And Jonathan, your wine for summer? Well, my favorite um, summertime wine of all is um, a white wine from Portugal called Vino Verde. Mm, me too. I like Vino Verde. It's fantastic. Uh, it's so cheap. You know, the, the price is still hovering around uh, $10. Um, it's a little bit bubbly. It's got a little bit of spritz to it. It's not like a completely uh, carbonated, <laughs> yeah. right? It's not like a completely yeah. carbonated sparkling mm-hmm. wine. It's got a little little bubble to it. Um, and even though it's a cheap white wine, um, a lot of times it's blended from three or four or five different grapes. So even though it's a it's an ordinary you know, white wine, it's just, you know, it's something that you can, you know, like pull out of the freezer like any time. You don't have to, it's it's not an, it's not one of those emotionally needy wines <laughs> where you, you, know, you have to spend a lot of time appreciating. It's just, you know, it's just 
open it. And, you know, it's, me- it's, it's, it's every wine has a message. The message of this wine is shut up and drink me, right? The other wine is like, I need to feel yeah. seen. Right, yeah. I need, I, need, I need to be praised and adored a little bit. Um, but, with, but blending from so many different grapes, even though, it's a, even though you would consider it a, just a, just a straight-ahead white wine, because there's so many grapes in the blend, it is more interesting you know, there's more, there's more, there's more stuff going on there because of the different grapes it's it's blended from, and you can really, you can really taste that. So that's really a a, a bargain white wine that's really worth drinking. And for I have sure. to add that it's one of those wines that goes well with food or without. And that's that's not a lot of wines, but you know, yep. two ways it's good and ten bucks. Can't go wrong. And it goes on sale a lot. So having said that, <laughs> you brought us something that's not the cheap one. Yes. Wine. So I brought here the opposite of what we have been talking about with the Vino Verde. This is a rosé from the south of France. I mean, rosé is a year-round yes. phenomenon now, which, which is something that no one would have ever imagined even five years ago. Um, this is a... Um, this is the most expensive rosé I have ever tasted. Wow. And I, and I think it could be the most, exp- if not the most expensive, it's certainly in the 99.9 percentile. Um, this is Domaine Ott. Uh, they have been making world-class rosés since 1896. Talk about, talk about multiple, you know, blended from multiple grapes also, but like so many different things going on in you know, what appears to just be this simple, friendly, easy pink. Well, I have to say that I thought I have tasted this before um, because, you know, at one point I was trying to taste what the happening celebrities were drinking in the Hamptons, and I believe this is one of them, but I don't know if it was this Chateau Romasson, which is what you have brought. Right, and there are other... And there are other yeah. domain aughts that are that are that are more affordable. How much is this one? I'm dying. Well, so the manufacturer's suggested retail price is um, sixty dollars a bottle, or twelve or or twelve dollars a glass. So people um, people with beach houses should tell their beach guests, "Hi, pick up a bottle of domain aught on your way here." It's easy to spell O T T. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and this is south of France. Yes, this is from this is from a a, a part of. Provence called Bandol, oh, yeah. right on the Mediterranean. Super, and again, super famous for rosé wine has been for has been famous for rosés for century. And so here's the you know here's the top of the top region historically for rosés on the planet. So well, from the very expensive to the lowly <laughs> common food of cottage cheese. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's like. <laughs> Let's go there, Amy. Cottage cheese is oh making a comeback. Oh my god! You know, I've been. I, I'm on Instagram, of course, first thing in the morning, like a dummy, and uh, and I keep seeing these cottage cheese recipes, and I started to notice a trend, and I'm not wrong. Cottage cheese is re- is the Greek yogurt of Gen Z. So, mm. you know, we all have been using Greek yogurt by yeah. default in everything: smoothies, baked goods. 
it's be cottage cheese is now replacing it. And one reason is because the flavor is more neutral. It doesn't have the acidity and it's easier to go in at either a savory or a sweet direction with cottage cheese. It's high in protein for people who care about that. Um, it can be low in fat for people who care about that. And, you know, it is, it's very versatile. And if you put it in a blender or food processor and whip it, you if you don't like that, you know, chunky texture, which Callie just made a face, not a fan, um, you can actually make it into a very pleasant, like smooth whipped product. So people are, if you look on TikTok, there are 250 million views for hashtag cottage cheese. People are putting that in ice cream, obviously smoothies, in breads and other baked goods. So, you know, I'm actually, I think it's kind of good to have an alternative to Greek yogurt all the time. I personally do love a pineapple cottage cheese myself like in the morning oh god i cannot stand <laughs> do you will pry my cold dead hands off my greek yogurt <laughs> well and with and with a maraschino cherry sort of bleeding sort of bleeding into the pineapple yeah, with like, yeah. Uh, yeah. iceberg lettuce on yeah <laughs> now something else that has come back via an article in the new york times but is uniquely boston really yeah. uh the jordan marsh blueberry muffins right so okay i'm going to give the new york times it's do, which is that they actually uh, tracked or they were they were approached by a woman named Mara Richmond of Vermont, mm-hmm. who actually said that her father, Arnold Git- Gitlin, was a baker for Jordan Marsh and came up with this recipe for the famous Jordan Marsh muffin. OK, so um, hold it there because yeah. I want to play this clip. This yeah. is WCVB's Maria Stefanos, who asked a local baker who made the Jordan Marsh blueberry muffins for 45 years for some of his secrets. We have a blend of flowers that we use. We use a fortified egg. Blending bread flour and pastry flour. You take your sugar in your shot and then you cream it. But depending on the weather and the conditions in the shop, that determines how long you cream it for. You need air in it. And then you add your eggs gradually. Gradually. And don't forget to flour the blueberries. It acts like a glue in the batter. These are really, really, really popular. I mean, those, those muffins were, you know you know, a part of Boston history, really. There's this apocryphal tale that this woman um, asked Jordan Marsh for the recipe and they billed her something like, oh God, I'm going to get it wrong, but it was like $100. Or they, I don't think that story is actually true. That The Jordan Marsh blueberry recipe, muffin recipe, I have to say, has been a favorite on for Yankees readers and on our website forever. So, But the New York Times, I give them credit because they did track down the history. And I love that um, Mara said that her father adapted the recipe from a book called The New England Economical Housekeeper and Family Receipt book. I, I feel like the subtitle of that should be like, there will be no fun. Yeah. Yeah. In this recipe, there is no fun or pleasure to be had. This oh is God. <laughs> And receipt. Yeah. But they are delicious. And the thing that makes them so delicious is they have uh. fewer eggs and more butter and sugar, which makes them a lot mm. more moist and tender mm. and less uh, structured and dry. So they got that beautiful kind of crumbly, mushy, sweet. And they have blueberries, which is, you know, so important in New England. Absolutely. Really important. So it's a great recipe. Highly recommend it. Okay. Very good. All right. Now, uh, when we were speaking earlier about uh, Vino Verde, um, Jonathan, you made the point that it's a wine that didn't feel needy. And (laughs) that may be language that'd be confusing to some. (laughs) There's a whole thing going on about rethinking about how we use the terminology of wine that's very comfortable 
for folks like yourself who are experts or sommeliers. Here's a sample from master sommelier Bobby Stuckey, who's describing a wine. There is a little bit of an earthiness, almost a graphite clay note to this. Um, there's not really signs of new French oak. It's really, the wine's seen wood, but it's more, let's say, um, neutral. So that gives you a sample. Now some of That's us like might a bedroom <laughs> voice for wine. <laughs> well, but there, everybody's moving to. Uh, you've been talking about this for years. To you know, common language that yes. people can understand. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, New Hampshire wine writer Meg Maker has really kicked off this uh, conversation with a symposium that she did a few weeks ago, just trying to trying to get the language of wine um, much more. Uh, a language that communicates better, you know, that, that does more of the things that a language is supposed to do. You know, the, the, the excerpt you heard there of, you know, talking about graphite and neutral oak, you know, these are actual, these, these are not, uh, this kind of conversation is not just to alienate normal people. <laughs> this, this kind of conversation is really, like, very, very technical, like, like, like the way car lovers would talk about the technical elements of a, of a car. Um, uh, but one of the things that, that, that we need to, that we, we in the wine business need to change is, you know, is that communicating is not just talking. Um, <laughs> there, there, some, some part of communicating is also the listening part yeah. and letting the other person talk every yeah. now and then. And this, and this is something that we're starting to learn in the, in the wine world. You know, you know, one, one of the principal culprits, and we call each other out on it all the time is, um. Gooseberry, so, oh, right. so 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 a gooseberry is a kind of berry. Yes. It's extremely tart. It's extremely acidic. But when we're at a tasting, invariably someone will go, "Mmm, gooseberry," <laughs> and then someone else at the table will say, "I call BS right now." <laughs> when time, place, circumstance that you ate a damn gooseberry, I want to, I want to know, I want to know right now. And you know, and even in a in a more fundamental way, you know, we we will taste a wine, we'll taste a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, and we'll say stuff like, "Wow, this has got a lot of grapefruit in it," mm -hmm. right? Because it's you know, I can get to because everybody's had a grapefruit. But or you but, can, you but know. then people will yeah. say, but then people will say, "Well, how much grapefruit are they allowed to put in it?" Oh, I Cause, see. Because we because we you. talk, you know, we don't say, "Hey, this reminds me of grapefruit," or "This is tasting," or "This yeah. what?" We, you know, we 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 use the these idioms of of tasting that right. just that yeah. just leave people saying where where is the beer section <laughs> where, where is some where is something else with ethanol in it that I can drink okay well anyway it's good to know that you're moving on from that and I just while we're uh, in your section to talk about this gotta mention this. These people who are aging wine in a totally different way, not in barrels. Most of us who even know a little bit about wine know it's mostly aged in barrels um, of various kinds or sometimes in other methodology. But this is aged in the ocean floor of the Arctic Ocean. This is something that in, I'd say within the last five years has started to emerge as a an element of winemaking, not just wine aging, but also um, whiskey aging as well. What does it do for it? This is English sparkling wine, by the way. So this is English sparkling wine um, aged at 100 feet below sea level on the Arctic Ocean floor, so the Arctic Ocean shelf. 
Now, as you can imagine, um, temperature there is extremely stable. Yes, and cold. (laughs) And and cold, (laughs) which are, in some ways, the ideal temperatures for storing and and aging Mm -hmm. a wine. So a lot of, of, like, mussels and crustaceans and stuff will start to grow on the bottle so that you have an external, very naturalistic representation Mm -hmm. of this wine having been aged under the sea. But can anybody say it's better? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. And, if, and right. if anything, this extremely cold, extremely stable temperature is really going to slow down the aging and Which slow it down be and make it extremely consistent. Yeah. That's really what mm. we're, we're going for. We're not using the Earth's crust Right, which yeah. which which is like stable right. at like fifty five degrees Fahrenheit. Now we're using the oceans, which we have not warmed up too much yet. All right, now regional global regional cuisine, Amy. We have a lot of it here anyway. But what you pointed to are all these new places that are really underscoring. It feels like a strategy, but it's not, of course. These are individual restaurants. It's something I'm so excited about. So I think we have long been guilty of uh, thinking of food as as monoliths, you know, Italian food, Chinese food. In fact, these are incredibly very diverse cuisines and very regional cuisines. And so Boston is now seeing a new batch of hyper-regional cuisine. So one of my favorites is Bar Vlaha in Brookline. It's brand new. It is fantastic. It focuses on the cuisine of the Vlach people who are a nomadic uh, group of shepherds from northern and central Greece by tradition. Um, the it's uh, the culinary director, Brendan Pelly, who's an amazing chef who I've loved for a long time, and executive chef Catherine McCourt are doing spit roasted meats, braised dishes, foraged foods, which are a big part of the diet, mm. these delicious savory pies. Mm. They do this incredible homemade sourdough whole grain bread with sheep's milk butter. I love that when I'm there, not only am I eating incredibly delicious food, but I'm learning something mm. about Greece and it makes me maybe want to travel. Another example, Yunnan Kitchen in um, in the South End. Mm-hmm. This is an underexplored cuisine in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And in fact, chef owner Yisha Su was just nominated for a beard award this year. Um, and they this is a, a very uh, a, a southwestern cuisine in China that is very um, aromatic, a lot of wonderful herbs, mushrooms, just um, uh sort of some of the flavors you'd associate with Southeast cuisine, like Thai, and uh, really, really worth exploring. So check out Yunnan Kitchen. You know, I love, I just love going deep on a cuisine rather than broad. It's so much more interesting. Now, tell me about this. Uh, we can't leave out Lair House because yes. that's a completely different. I mean, and we've talked about kosher food, but this is totally a different space. This is like being in a community center um, that has a mission of Jewish learning and preserving Jewish culture, but it's also a restaurant. So this is in Cambridge. um, And it's a place, as uh, the co-founder said, to encounter what it means to be in a Jewish space. So you've got a menu with some of the classic foods like noodle kugel um, and fish and chips, which actually have the roots in Sephardic cooking. And And the menu is annotated like the Talmud is with commentary to tell you this is how these are the origins of this of this dish. Um, and, you know, this is just a place that they have workshops and classes if you want to learn more about Judaism. But it's not it's not out proselytizing. It's just a place. It's a community gathering spot. And I'm, I think this is wonderful to learn and enjoy good food. I, I would agree with you. Um, speaking of recognition nationally, uh, Jonathan, 11 winning wine restaurants in Boston from the Wine Spectator. Yes. 
Um, a lot of places we would think of, they tend to be on the on the more expensive side. Contessa, yeah. love Contessa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Del Frisco's Double Eagle Steakhouse. So right. some of them, they seem to lean towards steakhouses and big fish places. Well, and also on the list is is my favorite wine restaurant in Boston. Which is? Troquet. Oh, yes, Troquet. Troquet on South. It's yeah. near South Station. Um, un- unbelievable. It's the kind of place where people go, if you, if you go with a group of people, you will order the wine first, and then you'll say, hey, what about food? All right, I'm, I'm, I'm squeezing in two other things I want to talk to you about. First of all, Amy, talk to me about Indian pizza. Oh, so I first had this <laughs> Which in San I want to say, I think we've been doing this. It's been around, but I feel like it just needs okay. a little love. Okay. Um, if Obviously, if you've ever had Indian food, you generally would order bread with it, and you would dip that bread in the wonderful sauces, mm-hmm. and it's so good. Well, Indian pizza is basically a sort of um, fusion food that um, – I think is that you that we do have here, um, and so Spirit of India in Lexington serves uh, pizzas. They serve sort of classic Italian American pizzas, but they also do like a chicken tikka masala pizza, a gobi, a, um, a cauliflower Manchurian pizza, a curry leaf pesto portobello pizza, and then there's Veggie Crust, which is a small chain in Somerville, Boston, Lowell, and Norwood, and they have a coconut corn pizza, tikka barbecue, pani, paneer tikka barbecue barbecue pizza. And so there's just these, it makes so much sense. Delicious sauces with bread, a little bit of cheese. You're so happy. I know. And I feel like those of us at home have been taking that naan and putting stuff on it yes. <laughs> like yes. a pizza for years. Yes. <laughs> we did our own pizza. So last thing with you, Jonathan, the Barriette Bring Your Own Bottle Bar, that you say yes. is really the, the real deal. So in um, so in Coolidge Corner, um, in Coolidge Corner, Brookline, um, upstairs in the arcade is a BYOB restaurant called Cobble, and the women who own that have opened a BYOB bar um, called Barlet. It's on the ground floor. And these two women, Rachel and Emily, are just, I, I admire so much what they are doing. They are, they are in some ways reinventing the whole idea of what it means to own a bar, what it means to own a restaurant. And it's the most it's the most delightful spot. Boston Wine School, uh, um, shame, shameless self promotion here. Boston Wine School is going to be do, is doing classes Ooh. there. We're doing our Father's Day um, whiskey class, and um, it's just a great, great venue. And so far as I can tell, uh, with my powerful, powerful Google skills, this is the only BYOB bar on the planet. You bring the booze, and then they give you the other stuff. Exactly. <laughs> There's food that goes with it, right? So, so you pay for this large food component, but otherwise, if you want to, if everybody wants to bring some Tequila. unimaginably expensive <laughs> bourbon, everybody can sit around and taste bourbon. Um, you bring whatever um, they have. They have the non-alcoholic parts of mixers and that sort of thing. The food and the food. The food is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And the place is the the space itself is absolutely gorgeous, and it's just it's just it's just utterly utterly new. All right. Last, last word, because, hey, what's New England without ice cream? Oh, my God. I love this. So my favorite place in Boston to go in the summer, if I can't get out out of Boston to the Cape or something, is East Boston, the waterfront, Jeffreys Point. It is so lovely. Million-dollar view of the city. And a new feature is the Blue Caboose, which is a restored 
literally a blue caboose um, at Jeffrey's Point. And a young couple, Liz, Lizeth Kelly and Troy Retzer, are doing an ice cream and coffee bar out of this restored blue caboose. Cute as could be. And they're doing Crescent Ridge Dairy ice cream. Okay, because I was going to say, where's the ice cream? You know, I'm picky. Yeah, yeah, I am yeah. the ice cream it's aficionado. Okay, very good. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to make that visit, I see. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining me, you two. It's always fun and so glad to have you in studio. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Jonathan Alsup is the founder and executive director of the Boston Wine School and the author of The Wine Lover's Devotional. Amy Traverso is the senior food editor at Yankee Magazine, co-host of the PBS series Weekends with Yankee, and author of The Apple Lover's Cookbook. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz and engineered by Dave Goodman. Our intern is Miriam Hydara. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.